Well, good morning and welcome to Better Life Church. It's a great place to be, man. Let's give it up one more time for our worship team. They did such an amazing job this morning. I want to welcome everyone here this morning. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online as well. Hopefully you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Maybe like me, you've repented a few times for all the food that you ate. Uh, ready for some salad, right? Anybody? Yeah, all right, a few of you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Adam. I am the executive pastor here. I still every day try to figure out exactly what that means. Uh, maybe we can have a conversation about that. But I get to do all kinds of things. And uh, those of you who regularly attend here, you know probably two to three, maybe four times a year, I get to preach on top of uh, all the other things that I've, um, not that I don't like to preach. I, I, I enjoy the opportunity to come and preach. Um, but I am very thankful, as I'm sure you are, for our lead pastor, Pastor John. He does a phenomenal job each and every week. Can we give it up for him as well? Um, he's getting a little extra uh, rest this week after walking through uh, the Family Night series and what we have been in over the last seven weeks. Uh, man, he has studied his heart out, and so uh, once again, uh, I am thankful. But anyway, I, I generally preach two or three times a year. I'm generally the guy that when we're looking at the series, if we have like a week in between, like a series finished here and we want to begin something else, I'm the in-between guy, right? You can go preach on it, whatever you want. Put me in, coach, I am ready to go. Every once in a while, I'll get to preach inside of a series. But today, not only do I get to preach inside a series, I get to wrap this series up. And oh, by the way, this series is in Revelation. So come on, let's go. I mean, this is, this is everything, this is amazing. Uh, but it has been an incredible series. We've been walking through uh, these letters that literally Jesus wrote through the Apostle John to the seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And we've been looking at this map every single week, and I think we've got that here. If you want to take a look at that, by, by this time you guys have got this memorized. And we started. Uh, eight weeks ago with the church of Ephesus, and we've walked our way through, actually eight weeks ago, was a message on Israel, and then we started Ephesus, and have made our way to our final church, and I have been practicing saying this all week, so I get this right. I'm gonna do my very best Eastern Kentucky effort. Y'all say it with me, Laodicea. Can we say it again one more time? Laodicea, that's it. I, listen, I don't know if that's right, but that's the way we're gonna say it, all right? And so we're gonna jump into the church of Laodicea. And I've had, I've had a lot of fun this week in this. If you, if you know me, you know in another life I was a, a math teacher. Math will always be my first love. Um, I, you know what I love about math? There, there may be multiple ways of solving a problem, but at the end, there's one answer, and it's either right or wrong. Like you gotta appreciate that, right, about math. But just below that, at least for me, is history. I always, I, even as an adult, I'm still fascinated by history. I got a couple different history podcasts that I listen to. I know I'm a nerd, it's all right. But like, I'm always fascinated by history of how other cultures lived, the problems that they faced and went through, how they overcome. And I think one of the things that's been evident, well, two things throughout this series, and Pastor Neil has done such a great job bringing this out, is that the context of the history that we see in these cities, it, it just illuminates what Jesus is speaking. It, it makes it that much more impactful. And today, hopefully, will we'll not be any different. The other thing that I have seen 
inside the Bible history, but also outside, is that, that the problems that we have faced throughout history really are very common to us all. The problems that, that we have seen in these churches uh, almost 2,000 years ago when Jesus wrote this letter to the churches, in so many ways, these are problems that we still face in our church and in our lives today. And I think we'll see that today as well. So just as Pastor Daniel has done uh, each and every week, uh, before we get into the message, I wanna share a little bit of the history of this city. And the first thing that I wanted to look at, really, and Pastor Daniel, I'm sure he brought this out, I couldn't find it in my notes anywhere, but, but uh, with history, time is very important, right? Like when things happen, where they, where they happen, all that kind of thing is very important. So my first question is, when were these letters written? And, and while there seems to be a little bit of debate around that, there seems to be some consensus around the end of the first century, so around AD 95. And, and we'll find that to be of particular significance as we move through today. But um, so to put that in the, the context of history, right? Uh, this was after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This would have been after uh, Paul, uh, you know, had, had, uh, uh, was martyred as well. So after all the letters that he was written. Um, and so this would have been around the end of the first century. The city itself, Laodicea, traces its history all the way back to the Greek Empire. In fact, it was originally known as the Ospolis, and that's the city of Zeus. That's what that meant. Uh, it was renamed Laodicea by King Antiochus. Uh, once again, I have no idea if that's how you say it, but I'm gonna say it with confidence, and that's how it's gonna be. Antiochus, uh, he renamed the city Diospolis in honor of his wife, whose name was Laodice. And that was around 260 BC. His son, Antiochus III, um, then resettled about 2,000 Jewish families around 220 BC in this region. There was three cities, really, that, were, were, that kind of were uh, significant in this region. Laodicea, uh, which was renamed from Diospolis. Heropolis, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. And then the city of Colossae. Uh, which was, uh, you, you're probably familiar with that. That's the city that Paul wrote his letter, uh, the book of Colossians uh, to. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute as well. But anyway, these three cities were all fairly, fairly close together. And um, we learned last week, Pastor Neil talked about all these fault lines um, were all throughout this area. And so it was, earthquakes were a very, very common thing here. In fact, the city was destroyed and rebuilt several times throughout its history. Eventually, um, in the seventh century, that's when uh, the citizens finally abandoned the city altogether and found a new place to resettle because they're like, hey, too many, you know, too many earthquakes, can't keep doing this. Now, of all the seven cities that we've talked about, Laodicea was by far the wealthiest. It was not the largest. In fact, it's probably closer to the smallest of the cities than it was the largest but it was by far the wealthiest. It was known uh, for its banking. Uh, it was kind of the, the, the hub of, of, of uh, banking in the area. It was also known for the manufacture of black wool. That was very distinct in that time and area, black wool. And then it was also known for a medical school. Some sources uh, call it more of a temple of a guy we learned about um, several weeks ago, a syphilis. Uh, but they manufactured this ISAV. Uh, 
and uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but stuff you put in your eyes. It helped them to see better or cure all kinds of different elements. It's called calerium. So all of those three things, kind of keep that in, in, your, in your mind's eyes. We jump into the scripture because that will all be very significant. It was a wealthy city. It was, um, uh, it was known for its manufacture of black wool and then this ISAB. The amount of their wealth obviously was, was supported in, in different literary sources, but also in their architecture. I got a few pictures here. Uh, they say a picture is worth a thousand words and I don't have a thousand words left. So let, let's, let's go with this. Uh, this was one of the uh, streets, not a special street in uh, the city of Laodicea. Columns on both sides, it would have had a uh, covered um, uh, colonnade there as well. Um, the next picture here is the side of the Agora. Uh, the Agora would have been this large uh, open public meeting space. Kind of, it would have been used kind of like what we maybe would use a park for today, although not recreational activities, more of kind of these uh, lectures and places for people to have meetings and stuff like that. But this would have been a very, very large structure. The next picture, is one of uh, at least three theaters in this city. This one has been, uh, was excavated and restored, would have seated about 8,000. There was one theater there that would seat over 20,000 people. And then the last picture that we've got here is the emperor's temple. It would have been, it would have had different names throughout the history of Laodicea because it would have been dedicated to different emperors. But the style and the, the existence of the architecture they had in this city, one source that I said was, was unmatched only by the capital cities in this time. So a ultra, ultra wealthy city. In fact, there's one account, and this was in um, uh, around 60 uh, uh, BC, uh, there was 20 pounds of gold were seized as kind of the tithe of the, or the, the tax that was sent from these Jewish families in Laodicea back to uh, the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, that was their kind of their annual tithe that they sent. So 20 pounds of gold, that would be worth a lot uh, today, but can you imagine what that was worth uh, in their time? So with all of that said, oh, just two more things, two more things on the history. Um, they always had uh, persistent issues with their water. Obviously, that is a huge deal. Any place where, where uh, humans exist, there has to be an ample uh, source of fresh water. And so um, some of the research that I found said they had a four mile long aqueduct system that carried water into their city uh, from the nearby city of Heropolis. Uh, and, they sh and it came from a hot spring, which was highly concentrated in minerals, literally would make people sick. Uh, here's a sign that I found a picture of a, uh, this was a water law for their city. I think we've got that. Um, don't know exactly what it said, but translated it, it, it levied a huge penalty to anybody that would do anything to mess with their water. So wealthy city, manufacturer of black wool, uh, ISAV, issues with their water. And then the last thing, that I just asked before jumping in, do we see any evidence of Laodicea in anywhere else in the Bible? And I told you one of those three cities was uh, Colossae, which the uh, book of Colossians was written to. And we actually see in Colossians 4.16 where Paul says, hey, when you guys get done reading this letter, make sure the church of uh, Laodicea sees it. Uh, maybe because of uh, them being located close geographically, they 
face the same problems. I'm not for sure there, but we actually see Laodicea mentioned several times in the book of Colossians. So with that said, let's jump into our scripture for today. We find ourselves in Revelation chapter three, verse, uh, we're gonna start in verse 14. So as you're turning there, I'll say one more thing before we get started. In preparation for today, um, I pulled out my big Bible. This comes from the, uh, what were we in the 21st century? This 21st, this, so this comes from the 20th century, all right, way back in the day. I actually had kind of gotten out of the habit of using this. This, this comes from the day when, when the size of your Bible equaled the uh, devotion to Christ, right? So the bigger the Bible, the better Christian. Y'all get that, y'all can laugh at that a little bit, it's fine. Um, but um, anyway, I pulled this out. I pulled it out specifically because it has the commentary in it and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And some of you will get this. Some of you won't, you're like, hey, what's he talking about? But in the day in which we live where the Bible is so readily accessible, I've got it in my pocket at any given note that I can read it on my watch, right? You can pull it up on your computer. It's there and we have every resource available to us 24 seven. But there's something about, and I just rediscovered this this week, there's something about opening the Bible, Amen. the paper Bible, and seeing it in front of you on this. I just, I thoroughly enjoy that. And so anyway, that's just free today. Uh, if you haven't pulled that old Bible out uh, for your study, maybe try that this week. It, it definitely was significant for me. So we're gonna jump into the scripture. Before we do, would you pray with me real quick? Father, Lord, we thank you for um, just who you are. God, we thank you that we have your word. And God, I pray over the next few moments, Lord, that you would just allow me to uh, speak your words, not my words, speak your words and communicate your truth to those that are here and listening today. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's jump into God's word. Revelation Chapter three will begin in verse 14. He begins this letter the same way that he did each of the seven letters. He says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, right. The angel, remember there, just means messenger, uh, pastor or shepherd of the flock. That's who the letter is written to. And then he makes it known who is writing the letter. It says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God says this, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the author. I'm the one that's, that's, that's reading this. If you have the red letter edition of your Bible, you will notice that these words are in red. This is Jesus speaking directly through the apostle John here. And he jumps right into it. Verse 15 says, I know your deeds, that you are neither, caught, uh, neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold. We'll stop right there, hold on just a second. So he jumps right into it here. And we learned last week, you know, when we see this pattern all throughout these letters, that Jesus basically, you know, he, he, he says, hey, here's who the letter's written to, it's me that's writing. He starts out with a little bit of praise, and then he gets into the rebuke or the condemnation. Last week, the Church of Philadelphia was the only church to only receive praise. This week, Church of Laodicea, they're the only church to only get rebuked, like no praise for them. It's like, what? Like, what's up with that, Jesus, right? He jumps right into it, honestly, with a rather 
harsh rebuke. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you, is what the New American Standard Version says. Maybe your, your translation says, spit or spew you out of my mouth. Now, I found this to be particularly interesting, and we've seen this all throughout these letters, that Jesus uses something that would have been so familiar to them, he uses it to paint this picture, this, this metaphor, simile, English is not my thing, so I don't know which, I don't, still don't know the difference between those two, but he uses this illustration to help them to see what he's trying to say. And I told you they had this aqueduct system that brought in water from four miles away that started out hot and then came into the city. What do you think that water was when it got to the city? Lukewarm. You ever walked up to a water fountain? This was very common back in the day. I don't know if people still drink from water fountains a whole lot, but you walk up to that water fountain and you're expecting it to be nice and cool and refreshing and it, you know, the, the, the compressor's broken or whatever and it's, it's not. It's just lukewarm. It's not only good. Maybe you like coffee. Who likes coffee? All right, get your hands up. Need a little crab participation. All right, there we go. So I, I begin every morning with a cup of coffee, right? And I sit down and it's, it starts out hot. It's so good, right? But I'm kind of a sipper. So I sip, sip, sip. And then there comes a point that coffee is just, it's just gross, right? It's, it's not drinkable anymore. It becomes lukewarm. Maybe, I don't know if you, I didn't say this in first service, but maybe you're like me sometimes and you, you know, maybe you have more than one coffee cup on your desk. Anybody ever do this? And like you were drinking out of this one, but then you pick up this one from yesterday. It's no good, right? It's no good. You want to spit it out of your mouth. Jesus uses this illustration to say, this is how I feel about your deeds. Let's continue to read. He says, why, like, why, Jesus? Why are my deeds? He says, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know. Listen to these five words. This is how Jesus described these people in this church. <coughs> Sorry about that. You are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, blind, and naked. What's it mean to be wretched? Wretched, I looked this up, it says, it, it means to be in bad condition, and you're in bad shape, miserable. Maybe your, your translation says pitiful. Jesus literally looked upon their condition and he was, he, he, he was disgusted by it. He, he looked on them with pity because, you see, they, he said, because you say you are wealthy and you have need of anything, they saw themselves as being completely self-sufficient. We see it recorded in history that in AD 70, an earthquake came and just completely wiped the city out, destroyed it. This had happened before, right? Uh, it became a kind of a common occurrence in the city. But the emperor at the time, Emperor Nero, this was the, you know, this was, they set along important trade routes to, to larger city. They were the kind of the banking hub of the region. And he said, hey, listen, we're gonna make sure that you have what you need to rebuild. And they said, no, 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 no. They refused the emperor's help. They said, no, we've got this. We've got this. We, we will rebuild out of our own resources. And, and they did. But it illustrates the level of, I would even go as far as to say arrogance that they saw because of their wealth. It says, you see yourself as being self-sufficient, as having everything. I see you as poor, blind, and naked. Jesus goes on to say, verse 18, I advise you to buy from me 
gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And this is just funny. This is just funny. He says, and Isaph, right? They were famous for the, for the Isaph that they produced. He said, no, 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 don't get Isaph from, from, from a syphilis. Isaph from me so that you can apply to your eyes so that you may see clearly. Poor, they saw themselves as wealthy and by every standard of earthly measurement, they were wealthy. In fact, in this time, and it's not so much different from today, the sign of blessing from God was material wealth, right? And so they completely saw this backwards. Matthew 19, um, sorry, Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and, and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, and this is the key, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus is not saying that it's a sin to be wealthy, that it's a sin to have stuff. The problem is, and Pastor Neil says this all the time, the problem is when stuff has you. Verse 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying to, to the church of Laodicea, your treasure is in your earthly possessions. You see that as the source of your security, of your hope, but you've got it all backwards. He goes on to say, you know, they were famous for the manufacture of their black wool. He says, no, 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 no. Like that was a, a sign of significance in their society that you had these black garments. He says, no, no, don't, don't buy the black garments. Buy your white garments from me. Clothe yourself in my righteousness so that you will, you know, the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And then the Isaiah thing, that's just, that's just hilarious to me. Like this is, this is all wrong. Like buy it for me so that you can see clearly. Verse 19, we're gonna read this, but we're gonna come back to it. It says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And we kind of see that same instruction all throughout these seven letters. Like I said, we're gonna come back there. Verse 20, this is the second, very, at least for me, is the second very familiar picture in uh, the scripture that we're reading today. Uh, you might have not known that these two uh, verses came from Revelation, but no doubt the, uh, the lukewarm passage, if you grew up around church, you've heard that before, you've heard messages preached on it before, and definitely this second verse as well. Verse 20 goes on to say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, will dine with him, and he with me. I've got the picture here. Um, no doubt a picture that you have seen before. For me, I don't know if it hung in our church growing up or is in a relative's house, but I've seen this picture so many times. Maybe it's a home interior. You remember home interior, right? You had the home interior stuff. I don't know, maybe it was. But most of the time, this is discussed as like an evangelistic tool. It's like, hey, Jesus is knocking at your heart's door and he wants to come in. And 100% that is true. But the door that he's knocking on here is not the heart's door. This is literally the door of the church. He's like, come on, guys. Like, you're in there, you're doing your thing, you're meeting, you're singing, you're worshiping, but you're leaving me out. Amen. You're leaving me out. And, and over the last 15 years of the church, I, 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 I've had this thought at times because we, I mean, we were portable for nine and a half years and there was so much 
time and energy that went into just setting up for church that oftentimes we could get even blinded to the, 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 the details of the things that we had to do and miss out on the fact is like, yeah, I mean, these lights and projectors and LED walls and, and the speakers, all these things are amazing. But at the end of the day, sometimes we miss the point. Maybe for you here today, you're like, man, I, I, I came to church today. I checked it off the list, but Jesus is saying, listen, I don't just love you, I like you. I wanna come in, I wanna fellowship with you, I want a relationship with you, I wanna spend time with you. He says, I wanna come in and dine with you. This picture of fellowship, of eating together, this was literally the most intimate thing that you could do with a friend at this time. It's still obviously significant today, right? To invite someone to come into your home and, and uh, you know, just to have them come in your home, like that's a, that's a big deal today, right? Uh, you gotta clean up and get ready and all that kind of stuff. But, but to come in, this is one of the reasons why the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they hated him. He, he literally hung out. He went in and ate with the sinners, the tax collectors. They hated him for it because they, they, this was a very uh, close, a very intimate thing that they would have never thought to do. So he's literally standing outside of the church. He's showing them the picture of where he is in relationship to what they are trying to do. Continue on reading, verse 21, the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. And then verse 22, he ends this the exact same way that um, he ends all the letters. He says, to the one who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So that's the end of the letter. Thanks, Jesus, for sending us the letter, right? So what do we make of this? What can we learn from it? What, what do we take away? What can we apply today? I got, I got th three things really quickly. We went through the history. History's great, right? We read the letter. But now the rubber meets the road. Where, where, where do we find ourselves today? Three things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first one. We see this in verse 19. He corrects those he loves. And you know, you may think about this today and say, you know, Jesus, like, you couldn't come up with like one nice thing to say about this church, right? Like, you're just gonna jump right in to criticism. Maybe for some of you today, like, I, like I get that, right? Maybe because of your past, maybe a lifestyle that you currently live in because of something that you've done, you feel that criticism. You feel like the church, they just beat you up. I mean, you feel like Jesus is mad at you, that, that you know, you can't catch a break. Like, you understand that part. Listen, if that's you this morning, I want you to hear this. Let's look at verse 19 again. Those whom I, say it with me, love. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And this hit me like a ton of bricks this week. I know it, but he spoke it so clearly to my heart. He disciplines us. He rebukes us. He points these things out in our life, not because he's mad at us, because he loves us. 
He says this, I love you too much to allow you to continue down a path that's ultimately not just gonna cause you like heartache in your life, not just gonna like make you trip and fall, but literally going to cause you destruction for all of eternity. He says, I love you way too much for that. Listen, let that sink in. I know you know that, but hear that. Receive that today. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And if you feel that rebuke and discipline today, take heart. Jesus loves you, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't put the period there. He goes on to say, therefore, what's it there for? Be zealous and repent. Maybe your translation says, be earnest or be diligent. What's that mean? That's my second point. Don't delay. Repent. Repent today. Amen. Not tomorrow, not whenever I do this or get this or when this happens. Literally today. I love the way Eugene Peterson, I think, captures this very well in the message paraphrase. But he says this, this is the people I love I call to account. I prod and correct and guide so that they will live at their best. I love that part because we, we call ourselves Better Life Church. We, we truly believe, I truly believe that God has a better life for you to live. Now listen, I want you to hear me plainly. That's not a life of wealth and opulence. That's what the church of Laodicea was living. It may look that way, but that's not the best life. The best life is a life lived following after Jesus, one step at a time. I promise you, I living it in experience. I have seen it in my life. I've not done it perfectly. But the best life that we can live is a life lived following after Jesus. He goes on to say, to, uh, so that they will live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face. It's a great picture of what repentance is, right? Repentance says, I was headed in this direction, but I turned 180 degrees, and now I'm headed in a completely opposite direction. He finishes it by saying, run after God. Don't walk, don't jog, run after God. Don't delay, repent. I've got some good news to share with you, church. The church of Laodicea, they repented. They didn't delay, they repented. Now, I told you time is important, right? This letter was written at the end of the first century. I've got some pictures here to show you the actual church of Laodicea and these ruins, they date to the fourth century, about 200 years after this letter was written. And this allows you to see, now I'm making some, I'm making some inferences here, but here's the inference I'm making. One, if the church still existed 200 years later, that means that Jesus didn't do away with them, right? They still were a lampstand on in that city. And not only was this a church, it's hard to see this get the scope of this from this picture, but this church took up an entire city block, 45 yards by 42 yards. And I'm a math guy, I like to do math. That's about 17,000 square feet. That's a large church, y'all. Put that in context. The church in which you sit today, uh, from wall all the way over to the kids' areas is about 25,000 square feet. That's a, large, that's a large church. 200 years later, this church not only still existed, but the inference I'm making here is that it was thriving. And not only that, uh, this next picture here shows you 
um, one of about 20 home chapels that have been excavated in this area. And we see actual evidence. Paul acknowledged this in the book of Colossians and in uh, Colossians 4, 15. He said, hey, send my greetings to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And I don't know if this was Nympha's house or not. And I'm not sure which part was the church and which part was the house. But uh, we know it certainly seems from the uh, existence of the architecture was there that the church continued to thrive long after this letter was written. These next couple pictures here show some more pictures inside of the church Laodicea. This was the would have been the uh, pulpit, the, the preacher's podium, and the altar. And then this last one, I, I love this one. This is the baptistry, y'all. They had a baptistry. Like, that's so cool. Uh, and not only does it show that the, I think that the, the church was thriving, but um, even to see kind of some of the places where we get our, the modern things that we have even in our church today. So the church of Laodicea, I believe we can say they repented, they continue to thrive. And then the last thing, verse 21, let's look at that one more time. Verse 21 says, the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as also I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. I find that significant because what I hear is it's not too late. It's not too late. He loves you. He's asking you to repent. And guess what? It's not too late. I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow your heads. For just a couple of moments, I want you to consider where, where, where do you find yourself in this story? Yeah, the history is cool if you like history. All right, we read a letter from Jesus. But the important thing here is where do you find yourself? I believe that we all have, our church believes that we all have a next step to take. Maybe you identify when I was talking about that rebuke and that criticism. Maybe you walked in here today and man, you feel that. You feel like the church is beat up on you. You feel like your family beats up on you. You feel like you're, you know, God is mad at you. Listen, I want you to hear this today. He loves you. He loves you. And he's saying today, repent. Repent. I love you too much to allow you to continue down a path that's gonna lead to destruction. I'm not gonna rubber stamp. I'm not gonna endorse what you were doing. I'm trying to show you the right direction to walk. And guess what? It happens one step at a time. You ain't gotta figure out what 20 steps down the road looks like. It happens one step at a time and your next step is to repent today, to cry out to him right where you are, right in the state that you are. Romans 10, nine says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And today you can take that step and you can begin that relationship with him. If that's you here today, I would love nothing more than to talk with you. We've got an entire team in our Next Steps area that would love to talk with you to help you as you begin that relationship with him. For others in the room, maybe you identify with the church from the, from the wealth standpoint. And listen, wealth does not have to be an issue just because you have a lot of stuff. 
For most of us in here today, I believe at least we would say at some point in our life, maybe even today, you would say, hey, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be okay. He's saying, listen, it's not in your stuff, it's not in your wealth that you find your security. Look to me, look to me. I am your hope, I am your security, I am everything that you need. Maybe today you need to repent of that. And you need to say, God, show me. What do I need to do? What next step do I need to take? Wherever you find yourself today, I promise you there's a next step for you to take. Ask the Lord, Holy Spirit is moving. And then take the courage and take that next step. Let somebody know about the step that you wanna take today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for how relevant your word is to us. Lord, words that were spoken specifically in the context to the church of Laodicea almost 2,000 years ago, Lord, are so relevant, fresh, and new today. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is moving and is active in this place today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody sin. Amen.